0: Hello! In today's episode we review It's a Sin. We talk about homophobia a lot because it was the major oppression in the show It's a Sin, but there was of course a lot of biphobia and racism coupling HIV and AIDS reporting and also the handling of the pandemic in the 1980s and now just wanted to flag that up. I hope you enjoy the show. To listen to the full show you'll need to head over to patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships. Enjoy! Enjoy! Hello and welcome to Culture, Sex, Relationships with me, Justin Hancock. I'm delighted to be joined by Silva Neves. Hello, Silva. Hi. How are you doing? I'm well and well. Thanks for asking. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Um, thanks for coming on. Um, Silva is a psychosexual therapist, and I um, put a call out on Twitter who fancies chatting about um, it's a sin. Silva came up very enthusiastically, so I thought, okay, this is the per- this is the person to work with. Uh, so, Silva, so, do you want to tell us a little bit uh, about your background? What brings you to the
1: show? Yeah, as you say, I'm a psychosexual therapist. I'm a relationship therapist as well, and I am a trauma therapist. And right. so, uh, of course, when we talk about uh, topics like HIV, I'm very, very mm-hmm. interested. And um, I work uh, with individuals and couples in my practice with mm-hmm. all sexual orientation, but a great majority are gay
0: men. Great. Cool. So um, this is all extremely relevant to what we're about to talk about. Um, we've also we've had a chat already about this, and um, hopefully you'll find our conversation really interesting because it brings up um, so much stuff. So first of all, we're going to talk about It to Sin. We're probably going to give spoilers away. So if you've not seen It to Sin and um, you don't want to have the ending spoiled or the, any of the storyline spoiled, then probably go away and watch it. Um, it's probably I don't know. There aren't very many happy endings, so you know. <laughs> so probably stop listening now um, if you um, if you don't want to if you don't want that to be spoiled. So I'll just give you a bit of background about the show, which I've literally just culled from the Wikipedia entry, which is what I do. It's as in as a British television drama serial written and created by Russell T. Davis. He also wrote um, Queer as Folk. As a line of alert as well as a load of other shows. The five-part miniseries is set from 1981 to 1991 in London. It depicts the lives of a group of gay men and their friends who lived during the HIV AIDS crisis in the UK. It has seen features a cast consisting of Ollie Alexander as Richie Tozer, Omari Douglas as Roscoe Babatunde, and Callum Scott Howes as Colin Morris Jones, who all moved to London. Lydia West, Nathaniel Curtis, and David Carlisle play the characters of Jill Baxter, to me, Jill Baxter, is a, Jill Baxter is a main character. Anyway, Ash Mukherjee and Gregory Finch, respectively. Together, they form the ensemble, which the show focuses on most. The show's subject matter of HIV and AIDS was difficult to sell to broadcasters, which I didn't know. That was a surprise to me. Um, BBC One and ICB declined to develop the series, and Channel 4 only took it on after their commissioning editor of drama, Lee Mason, fought for it. Um, the show received critical acc- acclaim for its emotional scenes, writing and depiction of AIDS. The cast performances were also met with widely positive reviews. I thought the cast performances were excellent. Um, all episodes were released to the broadcaster's main on-stream, on-stream service, All 4, which is where you can go see it now. After a few weeks, it was viewed in its entirety by more than 6.5 million people, making it the most binge-watched show to stream on the platform. Um, and it's their biggest drama launch as well. So it's a huge show. It's, um, it's really, really big, so it fits very neatly into the culture-sex relationships universe, um, just like the other show that we've reviewed um, recently, Bridgerton, on Netflix, which is a show I think you should definitely not watch, uh, but I think It's a Sin It's a show you possibly definitely should if you're interested in um, sex and relationships and sexuality. Um, and the really important history um, of HIV and AIDS, I think it's a really uh, important show. Um, So let's just get into our first thoughts, Silva, about what we thought about the show. What what, what did you think of the show when you you saw it?
1: Well, I loved it, and uh, I cried all the way through as well Mm. because it's just so... um... I think the show did a really great job, That it, it's not a documentary, yes. but of course they captured uh, in a dramatic way some very big realities of what was happening at the time mm. with um, stories of characters that we felt uh, quite instantly being our friends. Yeah. And uh, so that was really con- quite emotional in that point of view. And I think a lot of people can feel very emotional about those characters, even if they haven't lived um, or being adults during the the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. Mm. Um, but one of the thought really for for uh, the audience I'd like to to say first is starting from the end and what what I would have liked to see in the end um, is a bit of a you know a bit of like an epilogue thing that sometimes mm. you see in in drama that is on on based on real events, mm. which could be maybe a, a thing about, how it was then that was the reality then but actually now things are very different and and for young people maybe that haven't quite thought about the topic of HIV to really uh, not believe that it's something so dangerous now that that should stop them from being tested And I think it's important now that people do get tested on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and because it's not a death sentence anymore. Mm -hmm. And even though there is quite a lot of things out there on the media about this, I think it's easy to forget that now if you uh, are HIV positive and you go on medication, you become... undetectable the viral load Mm -hmm. become undetectable and that means you can't transmit the virus either Mm -hmm. and that's a really important message for young people to know now. It wasn't the case then but now it is.
0: And the tests are really easy as well and fat free you can test yourself too you can just order a test to have at home it's a simple and actual painless fingerprint test uh you don't see any needles um So so yeah it's so easy um the, I was actually, um, it, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, apparently when the show aired, they didn't originally have anything like that. Um, they didn't even, it's common for TV shows to have, um, you know, further information about this, head to this website or to have like, to even have something in the closing credits. Apparently they they did when they broadcast it, I think. Um, I think THT, uh, formerly known as the Terrence Higgins Trust, brought it up with them um, to say, look, yeah, you need to have some of this as well because this is... Uh, a historical drama and things are really different now some things in the show are, are similar but HIV uh the troops of HIV and testing for HIV um is, is has dramatically changed thank uh, thank goodness today. of course we still don't have what we call a cure for HIV but we have extremely effective treatments so that people can live as long a life as anyone else Um, exactly and and there's there's also
1: PrEP which is uh, very good because it's also a medication that stops people from being infected with the virus in the first place Mm -hmm. which is very very good too
0: I should say here dear uh, listener that if you have any young people that you're watching this with or if you are a young person and you want a bit more um, if you want some more links and thoughts about the show I've also written a sex education guide to It's a Sin which is available at my website bishuk.com if you just go, if you just Google Bish and it's a sin, it might well come up. Um, but if you just go to the website and search for that, you'll find it. Um, I was really, I thought that it was a really powerful show in terms of storytelling, because uh, as a sex educator um, and uh, as someone who's not lived in a community that has been directly affected by HIV, it's, it's possible to kind of read about the HIV uh, crisis of the 80s and to be Kind of detached from the kinds of uh, the kinds of grief, the kinds of the horrors or what must have happened, you know. So the the stories of grief and the stories of loss were so powerful. Yet, um, as we'll talk about in a bit, the the inability for various characters to be able to grieve mm-hmm. was really, really powerful. I think those stories are really just really important, and it's important. I think it was important that it was set within the whole context of rising homophobia and um, the cultural kind of context of the 1980s, which I think people didn't really know a great deal about. I think that what could have come out a little bit more was some of the, um, the hostility from the, from the press, from um, tabloid press and from uh, mainstream news more broadly, um, uh, fanning the flames of homophobia Um, It was kind of interesting, I think we'll talk about homophobia in a bit, but it was interesting to notice how the homophobia kind of happened throughout the show, uh, and how it became, how it was kind of unthought of to be gay in the first parts of the show, and there were were kind of references to Barry Manilow and Michael Barrymore, uh, who are both now we know to be gay, um, that uh, are certainly bi. Actually, I haven't double checked those, but um, but certainly uh, not straight. Um, the um, but then the increase in homophobia of when uh, the, the there was the traffic hold up in the street as a result of the protest, and the the, the first times we actually hear really homophobic language. I um, uh, the the missing part there was that that was fanned by newspapers like the Sun um, and and the Daily Mail, who were um, creating a climate of intolerance. Um, mm-hmm. coupled with government action slash inaction around dealing with the, the pandemic.
1: Yes. And a lot of that is still around today. That's, uh, you know, yeah. the, the medical process of uh, HIV is so much better now. Mm. But the, um, the homophobia, shame and stigma about it is pretty the same and uh, sticking around, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And start? some of the things,
1: some of the things, surely I see and I hear that a lot in my consulting room um, with people, for example, um, feeling that it's not going to be treated the, the same um, if they have to go to the police for an issue that's not homophobia. Maybe it's a different issue, mm. but if it's something to do, say, for example, um, uh, a sexual problem, mm-hmm. uh, for example, um, having been sexually assaulted, mm-hmm. uh, if uh, it happens to be a gay man that's a lot less taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um that's the the of self-reports I hear. But and also if people go to the GP, for example, or to medical medical professions
0: mm-hmm. and they
1: complain about something like an official, for example, mm-hmm. it's also quite dismissed as in a, a serious a serious problem for them because it could be their their main sexual organ.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that is actually not heard and dismissed. So all of that stuff, small little things that still make gay people or LGBTQ people, not just gay mm-hmm. men, but LGBTQ, LGBTQ people feel different. Yeah. Even, even though we have all the equality rights now, you mm-hmm. know, legally by law, mm-hmm. we're equal, but actually in the everyday existence, mm-hmm. um, living in the, in the world that we live in right now, there's definitely inequality.
0: Well, should we keep talking about homophobia? Um, like, skipping ahead in the notes, uh, we may as well... Uh, let's, let's cover this topic now, because the It's a Sin is... It is a story about, um, uh, essentially... It's meant to be a story just about three gay men. I think it's stories about many other people. I think, actually, in a kind of like a review of the show, I do think some of the most interesting characters had a very short, sadly, um, storyline, which I would like to have seen more about. Um, but I think it is also a show about homophobia. It is um, the extent to which, um, again, as I was just saying, I think this is a bit left out of the show, but if we just think about the timelines, if we think about the the extent to which information was uh, given about HIV. So we had, in 1982, we had the first confirmed death of what later became become known as HIV and AIDS um, well, first uh, known death from an illness relating to HIV and AIDS. In 1982, Terence Higgins was one of the very first, which is why the Terence Higgins Trust was set up in his name, who later became known as THT. Uh, I think those guys in the leather jackets were kind of like, I think they were like THT outreach workers. That's what the impression that I kind of got, uh, which is kind mm-hmm. of nice because when I started doing sex education, I kind of remember those guys um, when I first uh, started out um, when I in my early twenties, which is uh, cool. But if we think about the gap between the first death in the UK and the first public information, in it's this is covered in the show, it's around five years. Like it's falling. It's dreadful, isn't it? So what one of the things that really struck home with me was when Jill was trying to find out information um, in order to protect her friends and loved ones, trying to find out information from HRB. And when Colin went over to New York, she gave him like 20 quid, which is a lot of money, uh, to buy uh, as many uh, newspapers and magazines and any like literature at all. And he came back with some. But also when she went to um, see her... She was, I think she was going for contraception uh, mm-hmm. to a, a sexual health clinic. She asked for some information on HIV and AIDS. This would have been the 1983 episode, I think. And not only was there no information, it, the, the response from the doctor was, well, why would you need that? Why would I have that? As if that it's, it's not only should we, not only do I not have information, but also I'm going to shame you into asking for information. And,
1: then the yes, first and it was also about dissociating himself from having the information as in i have yeah. nothing to do with that yeah. and people had to go for people that were calling themselves specialists in this area which was very far few in between that would be able to talk about it you know doctors did not want to associate themselves with these things
0: no and th- what i so what i really liked about the show was showing how grassroots a lot of his education work was a lot of the the the, the safer sex education and the uh, and the campaigning for medicines and treatment was so grassroots and we know about this from the ACT UP movement that began in um, the US but there were also pre- also preceding um, sexual health movements from gay men communities uh, throughout America and in the UK too which was talking about the the necessary and important sexual health kind of um, messages uh, be- even before HIV but it's interesting how this was kind of bottom up and so the whole process of really trying to um, inform and keep safe people around HIV came from pe- people most at risk. And this is um, something we still see today, I think, as well. And um, yes. even that kind of the huge gap there, the five years gap in in, in between knowing that it was uh, a deadly virus and there being public information about it is just one example of the homophobia, the structural homophobia in the show.
1: Yes, absolutely. Because if it had been a virus that was uh, easily passed around the heterosexual population, I can guarantee you there would have been a lot more information and a lot more treatment much sooner.
0: Exactly.
1: And it is one of those things that were uh, still that we feel today, you know, in the psyche of gay men, that sense that uh, we are second class citizens and that we are undeserving and that we are, um uh, you know, worthless even. Mm. And that is, you know, now, of course, we have the rights, but there is still those messages from back then that are affecting us in in a way that uh, now it shows up in relationship problems, it can show up in se- mm. sexual problems, it can show up in feeling, finding it difficult to be intimate with, with other people, mm. in finding friendships, you know, it can really affect us in many ways. And many gay men now are feeling very lonely.
0: Mm. Yeah, because it's it's still too dangerous to be to be openly gay. Sadly, Uh, still even in we're uh, we're both in the UK at the moment. You know, even in the UK, but certainly in other parts of the world too, across Europe. Yes, every part of
1: the world. Every part of the world. Still, in twenty twenty one, we have to be very. uh, We have to we have to assess the situation before we can decide to hold hands with our same sex partner in public. Yeah something that heterosexual people don't even have to think about. No. We have to think about where to go on holiday, because there are some countries that would get, make us illegal and even a threat to death. Mm. It is something that heterosexuals never have to think about. Mm. And so there are many, many things, actually, that some people, it doesn't even come into the consciousness of heterosexual people that we, as gay people, have to think about.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think that the... The, the homophobia that we see um, from the drama it's a and the homophobia that we had in the 1980s, I think that we, I think that that was a, a stepped increase in homophobia. Um, there was clearly, of course, homophobia uh, before that, but I think that it was an opportunity and we did see an increase in homophobia. There was uh, the survey, that people have more homophobic views because of um The coverage of uh, and the government's response to HIV in the 1980s and I don't think we've ever recovered from that. I think that the way that it was um, there was such a lack of information which then led to so much fear-mongering about it being something which uh, uh, affected gay men. Obviously it didn't only affect gay men it affected many women who have sex with men too Um, but that kind of label just stuck and in the in the, the vacuum of that five years where there was a lack of decent education about this, the the, fa- the flames of homophobia were just fanned. And I don't think we've recovered from that because obviously, as well, the, the, the treatment of HIV um, has been slow and ongoing, but also um, with vast improvements. But also there was um, Section 28, So Mm -hmm. section 28, well, it's clause 28 of section two of the something, something government act. I can't remember it off the top of my head anymore. But when I first became a sex educator, we were still not allowed to promote homosexuality as, uh, I think the phrase was pretended family value um, or something like that. So we were literally just banned uh, from um, talking about that from even suggesting that to be gay was to be fine and normal, uh, and that gay relationships, gay parenting could all be fine. And obviously, you know, we ignored it, but the the message that sends out is is, is tremendous. And that law was only repealed in um, England and Wales, I think, in 2003. Um, and many people voting, uh, voted against that repeal of, um, of Section 28.
1: Uh, yeah yeah yeah. that's right i mean uh, the section 28 i think in my opinion is one of the darkest policies of the uk Mm -hmm. that now although yes it has been changed and only very recently as you Mm -hmm. say it still causes ripple effects now because again that um uh, thing which was law also sent a message that gave people a second class and undeserving and worthless Mm -hmm. and this is today's still those messages that still today killed people. Mm -hmm. That section 28, let's just, you know, call it what it is, Mm -hmm. uh, killed people. And he's still still killing people. Mm -hmm. We can change a piece of paper to the law, but it's hard to change the psyche and the attitudes and the culture of the other people, especially those that were behind section 28. And today, uh, you know, you say uh, that homophobia spiked when you know in, in the time of HIV of course because that's the time where gay men became visible and when there is visibility there is homophobia yeah. and just recently you get that when the uh, Netflix series Hollywood came on mm-hmm. which uh, has many characters from the LGBTQ community and there was a huge amount of hom- homophobia against Netflix mm-hmm. for it right. and when there are adverts that shows same-sex couples there are also lots of complaints about it mm-hmm. so it's you know each time there is visibility of LGBTQ, you can see homophobia rising. And in the UK, we can, I mean, I feel very happy and lucky and, and safe and proud to live in a country where we do promote now equality and where there's the law behind us and we can you know, feel protected. But let's not be fooled by that. Homophobia is still very much alive and it's not treated as um, uh, as head-on as mm-hmm. other forms of um, minorities at the moment. A lot of people still turn a blind eye to it.
0: Yeah I see also transphobia as well which um, I think and transphobia. yeah a lot of the a lot of the people I follow on Twitter a lot of my a lot of leftists I follow on Twitter have been saying I've been drawing parallels between transphobia now and homophobia then but I think it's 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 a mistake to suggest that we have transphobia now and then and then we had homophobia we had both then and we have both now uh, and they're yes. just they just operate in very different ways. Just going back to the section twenty eight thing. And so I think the important thing about that is no matter what. It disincentivised people from giving the kinds of sex and relationships education that was uh, that promoted diversity and, um, and inclusion. But even where it didn't, what it what it did was was to just to stifle the whole thing. So I think what we needed after after the nineteen eighties and, and what we needed in the mid nineties um, was a, a counterweight, a counterbalance to all of the horrendous homophobia, and needed to be like okay this is what we're doing now and we're going to properly fund it and we're going to um, we're going to be very proud about it and we're going we're going re- we're going to shift the culture and that culture didn't shift and so we still have this kind of intergenerational sex education which is first of all we can't really talk about it we certainly can't we can't talk it's very difficult to talk about sex education uh, for a lot of people, unless it is very heterosexual and all about reproduction, mm-hmm. um, and that is still the sex education a lot of a lot of people are getting today. So I think that that just being passed on just is a continuation of this climate where we can't talk about it, and if we can't talk about it, then then there aren't safe places for people to to be gay and to find other gay people, and if there aren't safer spaces, people don't feel safe, and it's exactly. going to affect people's mental health
1: yes absolutely and and you know it's uh, it's that and it's also the um the the field of mental health you know it's only in 1990 that uh homosexuality was taken off the disorders list you know that's so recent okay. and so you know that's also a double double whammy with that mm. and you know when you're saying that um uh, you know, back then, the it was it, there was no res- no research and so on. What well, is because a lot of people, you know, and Section Twenty had definitely said that out loud, You know, people would rather gay people who did not exist, yeah. and if on top of that there is a virus killing them all, well, even better. Okay, right. that was really kind of a strong message then, and it mm-hmm. came from many people. Some obviously louder people from religious communities. Who mm-hmm. actually some of them said that it was sent from God as cleaning up the streets and all of those messages are so damaging and so abusive and yet back then in the 80s it was there were strong messages they were out there very loud Mm. now they're not so strong because the law says we can't say those things but they Mm. come through behind the the back door
0: yeah definitely and and yeah we see that in, in 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 lots of uh in lots of ways now nowadays still with, as I say, with uh, the idea of um, uh, chem sex and sex addiction, it's just yes. another way of stigmatizing um, often um, gay yeah. men.
1: Yeah, well, sex addiction, let's talk about that for a second because sure. I'm, I'm, very, um, I'm very passionate about this. Mm. Um, people think today when they talk about sex addiction, they think it's actually a medical diagnosis or, or a mm. very proper psychological diagnosis. Actually, it's not at all. And if we look back at history, Uh, It was invented, the the notion of sex addiction was invented in the 80s, right at the moment of the HIV epidemic. And that is actually because, and that's my opinion, but I think that is because some people, and that was in America, and it was the Puritanism in America Mm. um, that uh, decided to uh, take advantage Of the epidemic to instill fear in in a lot of people and pushing the agenda that says that in order to be safe you have to be heterosexual and monogamous, or if you're not in a relationship then the next best thing is abstinence and that is all, and that was that was used to shame people who liked a lot of sex Mm -hmm. and used and definitely used to pathologize homosexuality, Mm -hmm. gay men and gay sex.
0: Completely agree.
1: Yes, and that's a movement at the time it took off because everybody was scared of sex because of the HIV epidemic. So, it was, you know, a few people with a PhD behind their name who started to invent a diagnosis and everybody believed them unchallenged because everybody was afraid of it. And unfortunately, that notion of sex addiction still exists today.
0: Mm-hmm. Even though it's completely unfounded, um, completely unfounded. It's, yes. it's not in the American Psych- Psychiatric Association manual. Um, no, it's been rejected
1: or, over yeah. and over again, and yet still not challenged. Yeah. And and although you know, I'm not saying that some people, of course, some people have compulsive sexual behaviors that mm-hmm. they do need to see a therapist for, but it is not an addiction, and it is not a disease. Yeah. And And um and yet, though that notion still sticks around today in 2021.
0: Yeah. Dear listener, if you'd like to listen to uh, more about sex addiction, there is a past episode uh, back in the Meg John and Justin archives. Uh, Meg John interviewing Dominic Davis from Pink Therapy, really good episode. Um,
1: really great episode.
0: Uh, <laughs> exploring thanks Silver, exploring. Uh, what a problematic term it is, but also one how how we the more effective ways of approaching it, and yeah, referring to compulsive. Um, Sex and people having a difficult relationship to sex, and the many reasons why that is massively in part due to sex education. But speaking of sex, mm-hmm. shall we talk about the sex in the show? Let's get into the. Yes, the I, just the to say,
1: I just wanted to say one more thing though, because you also mentioned that um, is chemsex. And chemsex is more of a kind of modern thing, mm-hmm. uh, just because the drugs are more used, are more modern now. Mm-hmm. But again, now chemsex is used again to shame people and to pathologize people. Some people are, uh, call it the new gay plague. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's really important that we um, also uh, help people understand that a lot more. You know, the, the reason why chemsex is actually so popular right now amongst gay men is again, because of homophobia and because of the world that we live in today. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the drugs do, is to give a sense of connection without the risk of judgment, which of course you can find that so much easier in a chemsex party rather than feeling it out there in society. Mm. That's one point. But another thing that people don't talk about, because somehow it's very, it makes people really uncomfortable to talk about sexual pleasure, mm. and, and when it comes to same-sex pleasure, even more uncomfortable, but a lot of things that draws people to chem sex is because there's an enormous element of pleasure and it's pleasure that can be done whilst the drugs dilute the shame Mm. associated with it. But in the first place, all of that, the shame, the difficulty, you know, the, the rise in shame and the difficulty with sexual pleasure and embracing your own sexuality in a, in a safe space is mm. also because of homophobia in the first place.
0: Yeah, you're completely right. It's about really examining the the uh, the conditions w- with which um, attract people to chemsex parties rather than stigmatizing the men who go to the parties themselves. That's the really important bit. Um, yes. and
1: there's a lot of slut shaming that comes with that when people start to uh, criticize people uh, being drawn to cam sex and uh, and another hangover from the uh, hiv in the 80s is all all of those kind of language you know the mm-hmm. the, the the slut language or the um, uh, even like the, the clean you know uh, yeah. if you're hiv negative you're clean that's really pathologizing it's really damaging language mm. and that's the one that sticks around today um, sure. on
0: uh, on hookup apps and stuff like that which is not to say that um, nothing bad ever happens at camp sex parties uh, that there might be uh, there might be places where um, they might be unsafe places uh, for some people but to pathologize the whole thing is not helpful um, and it's important to um, to not cause another moral panic that strongly relates to the gay community. Uh, yes,
1: because if you create another moral panic, people don't talk about it. They will do it behind closed doors without seeking the right information and they can then do chem sex in a really unsafe way and risk their lives because they won't know what to do. But if they talk about it, then they can you know, look after themselves a lot better.
0: And tackling stigma is a huge part of making people safe, right? Like People don't come forward to sexual health clinics, for example, if they fear that they're going to be judged, if they fear that they're going to be given a bollocking or not given treatment whatsoever if they feel that that service isn't going to be, uh, to, to be right for them. Um, the many gay men do actually see it. we like, um, gay men see sexual health services for, go to sexual health services way more than, um, than straight men do. Uh, uh, so there. so gay men do go to sexual health services, but we, in order to um, to keep gay men safe and to keep everyone safe, we need a lack of stigma and we have to tackle the stigma. And so stigma is the thing that kills. Yeah. Um,
1: and, and today still there are some, I mean, the sexual health services are really wonderful now. You know, I mean, it depends where you are in the country, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but uh, still now, still here, you know, some, some gay men say that it's been to, uh, to a checkup. And when the questions asked about the number of partners, occasionally they get the nurse that raise an eyebrow. Right. And just that sometimes can be, um, you know, quite shaming for forgiving.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about sex. So um, there's a lot of sex in the first, first episode, certainly, and maybe the second episode. There is, um, I think one of my favourite scenes is the, I never thought I'd enjoy listening to Hooked on Classics uh, again. I thought I'd never have to hear that song ever again. <laughs> I mean, even I'm reluctant to call it a song. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a disco remix of various classical music numbers that I remember from my childhood. I think I was about seven when that came out, <laughs> and I loved it at the time. And now I'm looking at it with completely different eyes because there's a, a sex montage uh, to Hooked on Classics, uh, which has a lot of shagging, a lot of people having very pleasurable-looking sex. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just kind of... It's great, it's great, to, see, <laughs> it's great to see people enjoying sex, um, and right. I thought that was just really, it's quite refreshing, isn't it? Just, yeah. and when it makes you kind of realize just how it, how only like a couple of minutes of, um, of enjoyable, seeing enjoyable sexual activity in a mainstream TV show is still pretty radical. It's kind of, it's, it's strangely radical. Um, yes,
1: so many sex scenes are portrayed, whether it's uh, you know, heterosexual sex or not, it's portrayed as something really kind of slow and, 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 and loving and caring and looking into each other's eyes. And it's going to yeah. be really intense. Um, but actually just seeing some uh, casual, light, fun sex scenes is really refreshing, as you say. And, and, yeah. and, when, and when it's with you know, same sex part- uh, partners, even more refreshing.
0: Sure. And it's um I just really liked how they're showing sex for sex's sake. You know, it's um these yeah. people enjoying uh recreate what would would come down as recreational sex. And yes. that's fine and good. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Enjoying their bodies, enjoying the pleasure that their bodies can produce without, you know, all of the romance and the, you know, restaurant before.
0: Sure. I mean, compared with Bridgerton, which... Uh, Silver, have you seen Bridgerton on Netflix? No, I haven't. Good. Just avoid it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Just avoid it. It's terrible. But there is a lot of shagging in it, but it all has to be... It's all very reproductive. Uh, it's oh. all about... Well, we, weirdly, it's not. But anyway, I won't, I won't redo the Bridgerton episode. <laughs> there's a lot of... There's a lot of coming in blankets. That's sort all of, well, I'll say. But a lot of... But <laughs> not necessarily that people are enjoying sex for sex's sake. It always has this kind of romance and, you know... But this is... The other thing we're seeing here is what uh the term allosexuality. So it's the term so it is where people are really, really enjoying sex, uh, and that and that fits in also with their sexuality. So in my sex education guide to this, I was talking about there being not only as their homosexuality or uh, gay sexualities, but also a, a range of how sexual people are. So there was the really the lovely storyline of Colin and So there was Colin, the three main gay characters that we follow all the way through are uh, Roscoe, Colin and Richie. And Richie is someone who was really interested in romance and and certainly interested in sex, but within the context of a sexual relationship, a romantic relationship. He was a little bit, he seemed to be a kind of character who was not so into um, recreational sex or seems like, you know, I guess in inverted commas, the scene. Uh, Richie certainly was and Roscoe certainly was and there were some interesting conversations around that wasn't there Mm. does that reflect um, the does that reflect different sexualities within, within the, the gay community as well, do you think, Silver, is that Yeah, sort of course. Of true. Yeah. Yes,
1: of course, because, you know, the sexuality is so diverse and there's so many different ways to experience sexualities and people experience their own sexuality differently. Mm-hmm. And for some people, sexual, sex and, and, and embracing the sexuality with partnered sex is really, really super important and they need a lot of it to feel satisfied. And that's great. And especially when you are living in a homophobic world, it's even... Mm-hmm. more important to embrace sexuality in that way, because the the sexual pleasure rights for uh, gay people has been uh, fought hard. And so it's actually part of uh, an identity, uh, not just something that you do, uh, you know, in between the sheets at night on a Saturday night. You know, yeah. it's it's more in, uh, integral to people's existence and sense of self, actually. Mm. But of course, within that, there's a huge amount of diversity, and there are some people that you know, for, for, you know, gay people where sex is a lot less important, yeah. and for some people who only would feel the sexual attraction if they have a, a romantic attraction or an intimacy attraction, whereas other people can just feel attracted by other people with no connection, with no emotional connection, mm. but just a physical connection. So, and and I think Colin might have been one that you know, he needed um, a sense of connection that was uh, a romantic connection or mm. something that was more than just sex and definitely not quite interested in, in multiple uh, yes. Multiple partner, and unfortunately, I think that was his, his first experience with, with this uh, guy that he was living with at the time mm-hmm. in, in that in that house. And I don't think it was quite consensual in some yeah. ways. I think, you know, it, there was some issues there, but that could have been also because you know there's no there was no sex education for gay men at the time.
0: No.
1: And and um, but you know the tragedy for Colin is that you know he. Um, it was probably this one sexual encounter. And then he got the virus from that one sexual encounter. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the stories, some of the stories that we hear from back then where people died after just one sexual experience. And Mm -hmm. that's just really tragic. Colin, you know, the the episode three, um, when we see Colin, I mean, that was like the most brutal episode for me. Yeah. Um, I just cried and cried and cried in his Mm. uh, moment of death and actually I followed the actor on Twitter because it makes me very happy that the actor is still alive and to see his face. (laughs) Yeah, Um, uh, yeah. It's a real tragedy, but that's the kind of things that were happening um, often, and it, you know, when the, the virus attacked his brain, Colin's brain, and then he stopped being inhibited. But mm. you know, the inhibition that he had was also his pride, and to mm. see that that he that was taken away from him in that moment and and, and doing something quite embarrassing in his mm. last moments was yeah. pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, and and it that's was, one of the realities of the of the virus. You know, it just did attack your brain as well as everything else.
0: Yeah, I mean, it must have been terrifying because people didn't were unaware of exactly how um the age-related illness manifests itself and and, and we see those that there the, there's the kind of the common thing that people think about is cancers or um or pneumonia uh, but this i had to look it up it was uh, something called als which is uh, a virus that uh when we have when we, our immune systems aren't compromised we're constantly fighting off and it's fine but it's uh something yeah that kind of uh, that can affect the brain and it must have been terrifying um mm-hmm. Yes. For and,
1: yes and then there was other people like Roscoe who uh, had a lot of sex and really enjoyed uh, his body and uh, sex life and you know did not get the virus and then yeah. people like that sometimes well you know it's not easy for them to because then they have the survivor's guilt you know right. we call the survivor's guilt the single why why Colin why not me I mm-hmm. think there was a moment when Roscoe felt really distressed with the fact that Colin died and and he he d- didn't or he got away with it in in, in, Mm. in inverted commas and um and that is also very very difficult to I think you know Uh, and of course Richie who tried to um you know kind of I think of course knew on one level uh also because he was having a lot of sex and he also saw one one thing on the back of one of his partners Mm -hmm. um but really wanted to stay in denial because of course facing such a well death sentence at the time uh, you know people people didn't want to
0: face that no. you know um, um just to come back to the sex a little bit more um it's because it's fun to talk about sex before we start talking about <laughs> grief and trauma yeah. again uh, <laughs> the um so we talked about how there were kind of multiple partners in, in a lot of the sex and people were able to enjoy casual sex it's interesting i don't know how how much you have to say about this but it's interesting about I was pointing out that it it was kind of implied that a lot of sex that was happening was um was anal sex and unprotected anal sex and that there I was I'm cautioning uh young people who read my website to say well you know don't assume that this means that all gay men like anal sex which is the assumption that gay that there is a thing first of all that there is a thing as gay sex uh, and that that thing is anal sex um but it's interesting that um but i also make the same criticisms and continue to make the same criticisms about every show which is about heterosexual sexuality as well where it's that we all sex is seen as being penis and vagina sex Mm -hmm. and not all people enjoy penis and vagina sex not all straight couples enjoy penis and vagina sex but there's kind of um so there were uh I guess I'm saying that that whilst it it opened up there being different motivations for people having sex and sex could be pleasurable, it did also at times kind of write a script, which was to say that, which was quite limiting at times and that that, uh, that a lot of it is just about anal, which uh, for many gay men it is and for many gay men it isn't, I guess.
1: Yeah, and that's true. I mean, right now, there's still a lot of people that feel really a bit confused about that, whether, as you say, you know, even the heterosexual population feel confused about that. But yeah. what is sex, you know? And, and a lot of people think that sex is mm-hmm. penetration. Mm-hmm. And if it's not met- penetration, it's not real sex. And people think that oral sex is foreplay, but not real mm-hmm. sex. And or, or oral sex is kind of like the second best. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's all this whole thing about orgasm, that people should come at the same time, and if right. they don't orgasm at the same time, something's wrong. Or these myths that just make people very confused about what sex is and how sex should be like and, and right. you know and happen and yeah. uh, you know so but yes of course um, we we know that there is a huge variety of people enjoying sex very much. And some people are just not into anal sex, not for yeah. any kind of reasons. You know, it's not because they don't do it right. It's not because they're bad gays. It's not because mm-hmm. they have an issue with the anus. They just don't like it. Yeah. And that's totally fine. And lots of people have oral sex and also lots of, uh, lots of uh, using all sorts of different parts of their bodies that can be just as mm-hmm. pleasurable and very satisfying for many, many, many people.
0: Yeah. And, but the, I guess the, the thing that would have been um, in Bridgerton, say, I keep coming back to that because I've, there was a lot of sex in that and I reviewed that recently. If there was anal sex in Bridgerton, that would have been seen as, oh my God, this is, you know, absolutely outrageous. So it's interesting how kind of norms um, kind of uh, shift and, and translate. Mm-hmm. The yes. other thing there as well is that there was a bit, there was a bit about condoms in it to sin and a moment where a condom was, uh, where Richie and his partner at the, Time, his name might come to me. Who is the actor? We're trying to navigate using condoms, and it was the classic kind of can't get yeah. the packet open. And then in that time, the erections gone and stuff. And um, but it's. Uh, I just also wanted to kind of point out that um, for first-time sexual partners, people, uh, gay men use condoms as much as straight men do. So it's the if there is it, again, it's a sex education thing. If people come away from watching it and say, well, it's because gay men aren't wearing condoms. Uh, Certainly nowadays, gay men are using condoms for first-time sexual encounters as as much as uh, straight men. Um, But yeah, uh, do a pre-tear of the packet or get the condom out before sex. And then when you get a hard on, then put the condom on. That's uh, that's my hot tip for everyone, faffing with condoms. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. It really does kill the moon when you try to fight with a condom when you're, you know, in, in the heat of all of this. So, yeah. you know, it's good to prepare. And actually, for anything else, condoms or no condoms, you know, a good recipe for good sex is prepare first.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, this is the other thing as well as that they were showing a lot of hot sex, but they weren't showing how to have hot sex. They weren't doing it. There weren't any of those um, kinds of consent conversations that, you know, obviously it's not a drama about how to have good sex um when are we going to get that drama <laughs> uh but so if it was it should have conversations about likes dislikes cool. things that you know all that kind of stuff yes and lube yeah lube. don't forget lube yeah, <laughs> super important. also having a wash you know if you are going to yeah, do some ribbing, right. having a shower versus a good idea somebody said to me on twitter you know i really liked how they were saying that not all bodies are like sex ready you know that we do need to do some preparation and that's really interesting because also you know um that if we could have more inclusivity around disabled people and sex, you know, that that you need to have prep that that we might need to have our needs met before we can have sex, uh, whether through disability or or otherwise, is an important thing that we need to just normalise, that it's normal to have needs, and that we need to have a needs conversation and a a needs moment, uh, and not just to assume that everybody is going to be ready for all kinds of sex at all times. Yeah,
1: exactly. And in terms of diversity as well, that's important. Is uh, also with uh, people of different body shapes because sure. uh, actually in in the in the gay press and we don't see a lot of um, overweight people, mm. for example, who uh, are uh, you know perceived or seen as sexual desirable people. But actually, mm. you know, if you don't have a six pack, you're still uh, you know have the right to enjoy your body very much and to have as many sexual partners as you want as well. Mm. Uh, and the same goes with age. And I think there was a small, small scene actually in the, in the program about which is a judgmental idea about age. Um, uh, you know, age is something that's really quite prized in the gay press as well and the, and the gay scene. And again, we don't see enough of, um, older people enjoying sex Mm. and, and why not? Because, you know, they are around, and I think you know if you're in the gay world and you're not having the right body shape or you're a little bit too old, suddenly you become invisible. And that is also a problem.
0: Yeah, it's equating um, sexiness with uh, enjoying sex, isn't it? And the sec- and uh, and not critiquing where that our sexy idea, what idea of what sexy comes from, is socially constructed and sold to us. Um, yes, it's, uh, important. And thank you so much, Silver, for coming on the show. If you'd like to get in touch with Silver, you can do at www.silvernevers.co.uk. S-I-L-V-A-N-E-V-E-S.co.uk. And if you want to train in clinical sexology, um, you can go to the website instituteofsexology.org. And if you'd like to hear the full discussion um, about It's a Sin, where we talk about grief and trauma and collective joy, um, Then head over to the patreon for the show patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships And you can sign up for as much as you can afford To listen to the extended episode of this and also all the other extended episodes too. Okay. Thanks. Bye